Major audit. Major audit. Major disaster. General disorder. <laughs> Private bathroom. Hello. Hey, Merlin. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Ooh, real good. Yeah. Real good. Happy Tuesday. Yeah. I'm doing lots of typing. I'm linking. Uh, I'm preparing. What font are you using in TextMate? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, let's see. I'm mostly, uh, I'm mostly an NV Alt, and I'm using... Good question. IBM Plex Mono 15. Oh, yeah. You're still on that, that one. That's a good one. That yeah, has it staying, looks good. Staying good power, different. like this show. Yeah. Staying power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going to pick one across all of them, Menlo's a good one, because that's almost everywhere. Yeah. Um, I don't like when I, I I don't like when I only have Courier. Mm-mm. Courier is okay, but it really does just kind of look like a typewriter, and it doesn't have the benefits of modern monospace fonts. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. The, um, I mean, I'm not a developer, or programmer, coder, or anything, but I do like being able to distinguish a zero from an O, a Very one important. from an L. Yeah. Did you see that thing? Um, going around about how you can use, I guess I've kind of known about this. I didn't know how extensive this was, that you can recreate most English words using non-English glyphs. I've you seen people this? doing stuff like that with like as their Twitter name and it makes yeah, if it, somebody wants to fake you. Yeah. They can, you get a username that has a glyph in it. Right. But supposedly that is <laughs> one way that they did the spear phishing. Uh, in the run up to the election was by using certain, I don't know if this is precisely true, but, it, <laughs> but, I, but essentially in the full, what is it? Unicode? What, what would you call that full set of characters? Yeah, I know it. Yeah. The Unicode. You sure. got, well, but you got all the English characters, but there are uh, a huge number of non-English glyphs that to the normal human eye look exactly like regular old letters. And so one way you, they benefit from that is if in spam, for example, apparently you can use glyphs, to defeat uh, content filtering because it doesn't recognize it as a, uh, yeah. a trigger word. Super, super sneaky. Uh huh. It's neat what you can do with text. What are you What are you using for your uh, these days? I know. But, let me ask you this. Yeah. I, I want to hear your specifics. But do you find yourself choosing and preferring different monospace typefaces for different things? Like, do you have one? in Xcode, like one in your uh, IDE or whatever you guys call it these days, yeah, one in your generic text editor, or do you like one across all the board? That's a great question. Uh, and I think, you know, it's tough to, to pick one that I really like and stay with it. But ever since you turned me on to the IBM Plex Mono, IBM Plex Mono regular 16 Mm-hmm. has been my... There's no shame in turning up that font no, size, Dan. There, you know, I remember a lot the of people, days... A lot of people, you get the groupers out there who are very proud, and they want to stick with Monaco 10. And they're squitting all day like an animal. Think if they can do it at in their 40s and 50s, great. Yeah. Good good for you. If you can... I remember BB Edit, and I think the default font for BB Edit was probably Monaco, Monaco 10 and it was either nine or 10 and I would set it to nine if it wasn't already nine that yeah. that was like so much of my life was spent in that editor writing code at, with that and I've looked at it since and and this was in the days before anti-aliasing if I remember right like at, at that size the aliasing would be turned off and you would just see the the tiny oh, little like, little yeah, font. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't even imagine doing that. Sixteen sounds huge, but every font is a little bit different. And so, like, if I were to it use, it can be real different. It can actually yeah. be real different. Yeah. In, in Consolata, 
Um, I think it. I'm more like 14 or 13 in that, but but it feels more like Plex Mono in in 16. But anyway, that's what I use there. In Terminal, though, and I use. By the way, I have to I have to mention I use iTerm mm-hmm. um, because I'm I'm a human being. It's got more stuff. You can it has do. a lot more stuff. Yeah. And in that, I use. Um, I only recently switched to IBM Plex Mono uh, regular 14 point. But for the long time, I was I was staying with either Consolus, which is Microsoft's font, or in Consolata. Uh, <laughs> but I, I found that I like. You can tell I don't use this much anymore because oh my what are goodness! You, what is your set to Monaco Ten in my terminal? Really? But you know what? I That's mean, fine because then you know you know you're in a different place. You know, a yeah. terminal can if if you're the type like me who has black black screen with lighter colored text. I have that in my editor and in my terminal windows. And yeah, I've made a mistake of typing something in one window that I thought mm-hmm. should have been in the other. And the different font helps kind of wake you up to that and makes oh, you not do that. Oh, I think that's very... I, I used to... I'm so very easily confused in life. And one of my smartest little hacks in my PHP days was I would have a giant red banner across the staging <laughs> server versus yes, the production yes, server. Yes. It's like, why isn't this working? Why isn't this live? It's like, you're on the wrong site, dingus. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, here's, here's the thing. I, I, uh, I got a little life hack for you. Um, right. the, this is just something I discovered organically, but you know, very interesting. Mm, you know, my reading eyesight is mostly pretty good. It's mm. at a distance that I really suffer, but, um, I'll tell you something interesting. If you're somebody who uses uh reader view in, on Safari, or if you use, in my case, I use, uh, Instapaper, it's probably worth mentioning to people that if, especially on iOS, if you're in Safari, you can see the little hamburger up in the location bar. If you press once on that, it turns the page, if it's available, into reader view, which means you get a plain background with plain letters and it looks identical. Every web page looks pretty much identical. It takes out all the ads. It, it smartly scrapes it. Um, you can also then do like a long press on the ham. I know you know this, but it's good to know if you don't know this, um, long press on the hamburger bar and say, always use that. So from now on, whenever I'm on Politico, always show me the reader friendly version of that. Not as useful to me on Mac OS. I think the implementation is a little wonky, but, uh, I love that. I, I, I treasured that. But the truth is I, if I see something that looks interesting and I don't need to read it right away, I, I still use Instapaper don't you know no 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 shade no lemonade i just happen to use instapaper and i have it set to a black fully black background with big white letters i don't know what it is it might be georgia i don't know but the, the truth is i have it jacked up pretty high in instapaper and i'll go through a session then where i'll read a bunch of stuff in instapaper or you know read a bunch of stuff in safari um try that like set wherever you do your reading, that could even be your Kindle. Just for fun, try jacking up the size of the text in what you're reading just a little bit, just a couple clicks. You don't have to go crazy. But and spend, you know, 20 minutes to an hour reading uh, in at that size. Then go back to looking at a regular screen on your iPhone and see if you notice a difference. Because I'm here to tell you, I really notice a difference. I, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like when I go back to like the teeny tiny letters, cause the default, I mean, it's actually shockingly easy to change this. And depending on your aesthetics, you may or may not like this, but in iOS in particular, you go to settings, you go to display and brightness, and it's a real easy little, uh, area there. You click on called text size and you just move that slider up or down. It gives you a preview of what that will do in any well done iOS app and the entire iOS system will then increase or de- decrease the size depending on 
how you want to see that. I'm just saying you, you might want to give it a try, listener, because you might be surprised that changing the size just a little bit can greatly improve your experience, especially, I think, on an iPhone. I'm That's good, but I'm still shook by this long press on the hamburger. Uh, I did not know that. Did, are you seeing what I'm talking about? Yes, and I'm doing it right now, and it's that is amazing i had no idea that you could automatically engage the reader view that's <laughs> yeah. so awesome you're like ah, oh, you know this stand i didn't know that and i would use the hell out of this thing it's oh, awesome I, I, I read a lot yeah. of websites and that it's it rare is the site that will not allow that i think my guess would be that it has to be like a pretty you know modern css site with good good divs yeah you know that it can that it can grok what kind of stuff to to scrape the right way but it's it's not perfect there are some sites where you'll only see setting aside the stupid wall street journal there are sites where you will only see like the first paragraph and it's it's not right and it does then it doesn't show you the rest of it because they have one of those like tap here to read more could be. Uh, things and i always wonder because well, actually knows I wonder how about. trying it is to read up to 400 words at a time so <laughs> that's, then what that's, they really want to that. be smart <laughs> yeah, well up. that's the whole thing is like they, are they saving do they think they're saving bandwidth or something because it's still there on the page it's not doing usually a second it's not like filling the, da- the, the it in with an ajax request or something is it just because I mean, the ads it, sit below it and they want you to see those I would just because I got a nasty mind. Uh, I would guess that it, at the very least, will be able to demonstrate an increased level of engagement, and it might count mm. toward what they show to advertisers for how engaged somebody is right. in it. Yeah. And, but the more, I don't think this is the case. But on the other hand, I would not be surprised. Not a good usability thing, in other words. I don't think it's a usability thing at all. I mean, because if somebody's got any kind of a, a disability or preference, causing them to click more is not a happy thing. Well, you, um, I, I, I think that's the best explanation I've ever well, heard the deep, for The deep it. dark one might be, well, you know the deal with Publishers Clearinghouse? I remember first reading about this in the 90s because you're always like, I don't Publishers Clearinghouse, it's so weird. Like, where are they, why is Ed McMahon coming to your house with balloons? It's so strange. But the story goes, supposedly, <laughs> right. that uh, you know you get the thing in the mail and it says, hey, you could win a Buick. Right. So like, fill this out and send it in. And in fact, you can choose from these stickers. You can grab the color of Buick that you would like us to bring to your house and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these things you can fill out. You can become a full stack participant. <laughs> right. And um, the story goes that depending on how you responded to that, you get tagged as having a certain level of engagement with your junk mail. Because basically, first of all, now you've shown yourself to be someone who opens junk mail because you're doing Publishers Clearinghouse. And second of all, you've shown that you will heavily engage with your junk mail. And now people can market to you more aggressively knowing that you're someone that will do that, supposedly. Uh, what was my point about Publishers Clearinghouse? That uh, we engagement? Were, yeah, oh, we're yeah, talking engagement. about engagement. So, but I mean... But in this crazy age, I'll tell you, man, just knowing how every, all that JavaScript out there watching what you're doing, I would not be that surprised to find out, not saying this is true, but I wouldn't be surprised to find out that those kinds of levels of engagement then get fed back into some kind of super profile that can be used in the same way Publishers Clearinghouse would. Yeah, I, I mean, know. that makes perfect sense. The The only the only reason that I had ever thought of it was that, you know, you have the whole above the fold, below the fold thing, and yeah. if if you collapse the content of the article then that allows you to show the ads that are beneath the article above the fold in the first view and i i don't know but you know what you know what they say merlin to to be a good cop you got to think like a criminal is that right mm-hmm. that's a good idea 
That's a good idea. You shouldn't act on it though, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, but that guy, supposedly that guy got all jammed up with the, the cop got jammed up with the Monopoly game. Figured I've been reading about that and I, I tweeted about those things because I remember that vividly. The little, the little uh, Monopoly yeah. pieces be on your Coke and on your, your uh, French fries and, and all of that. And then, and then I started going down the rabbit hole of like, well, what did old McDonald's packaging used to look like, right? Oh, because I know. it used to have these nice, big styrofoam containers that, and mm-hmm. you know, and like they were big and like you could eat your meal out of, because what you do is you get your container, the styrofoam container, you'd open mm-hmm. it up. And then on one side, mm-hmm. you'd have your burger and you'd dump your fries in dump the other side. In the with, other, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, we watched, uh, Ellie and I watched All the President's Men a couple nights ago, and there's two different scenes that take place in a McDonald's in presumably 1976, like right. when they shot the movie. Yes. Great man. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We've talked about this movie multiple times. What inspired you to show it to your daughter? Isn't she 11 now? She's 10. We started watching it a long time ago. It's not for a 10 year old kid who watches a lot of, you know, Teen Titans Go. Yeah. It's not. I was going to say, how did you keep her interest going for she that? She watches a lot of the screaming shows and um, <laughs> it's not the most uh, rapidly paced movie, okay. but she got pretty into it and she was kind of sleepy. So she was just sort of like, wow, whatever, Kenneth Dahlberg. And um, yeah, but there's a couple scenes where they get a tremendous amount of McDonald's on a tray and you see it all. What I forgot, I forgot about those little cardboard rings they used to put around the burgers, like before they had the styrofoam boxes. They used to just be in a wrapper and then with a ring around it. But the classic white, like the soda cup, you know, with the yellow arches on it, it really took me back. It, uh, it doesn't have that same uh, perky look that it does today, though. No, no. Uh, McDonald's engagement. I don't like being engaged. I mean, like if I go to the Walgreens, like I don't want to put my phone number in every time unless I know I'm getting a real good deal. Like I don't like that. The whole Safeway card thing, it just all seems so weird. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good movie. I was telling Roderick about this, that it's, it's so fun to go back and watch that with a little kid though, because like so many movies, up through the nineties, it's just, it would have been a com- completely different movie if that had been done after 1994. Tell me uh, why. Well, again, I'm repeating myself here, but like there's a scene where a lot of what they do is like, they're just running down information using a telephone reference books and interviewing people in person. That's a lot of what they do to this day. Bob Woodward still shows up. I read an article today about his upcoming Trump book where Woodward will just show up at somebody's house like late at night and want to interview them. Like that's still his style. <laughs> it's like catch MO. people off guard. Yeah. 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 Uh, sounds like a really interesting book. Yeah. Um, but, um, but you know, for the, in this one example, so I'm trying to remember how this goes. I think the way it goes is Bernstein goes down to Miami uh, you remember uh, Ned Beatty is like a prosecutor yeah. down there yeah. and Flo from Alice is his uh, like secretary <laughs> that won't let him in. And he, he tricks his way in and gets the guy off the record to show him the checks that had come in from the Mexican bank right. that ended up in the White House burglars accounts. Like how did committee to reelect the president monies end up in a burglar's account? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he shows them to him. And one of them is from this guy, Kenneth Dahlberg. He's like, okay, Kenneth Dahlberg. He gets on the horn. He calls up Woodward. And he's like, we've got to check. We've got to find out who Kenneth Dahlberg is. And he has to go through the art. He has, he has a gal going through the archives, doing a keyword search on that name. He's in a room full of white pages. He's like white pages from all over the U S right. trying to find just out who Kenneth flipping, Dahlberg just is. Just flipping through white pages. 
And then, so he's sitting there with this giant pile of white pages. And then the, the lady comes in and goes, Oh, here's a photo. I think it's from like a GOP fundraiser or a Nixon fundraiser. And it's, it's Kenneth something Dahlberg. And so then he finds him in the white pages. And it's like, it's so exciting, you know, but the way that you track all that down and you call people and then you say, like, then you call an organization that they're affiliated with. They get the list of everybody who works at Creep and it's a, it's a dump of names and phone extensions and have to go through and figure out whose phone extension is near somebody else's phone extension. So that might be the person's assistant. Now today you just go on LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> it would that's just it. Be right there. It would just be on Instagram. You just have Don Jr. Like, you know, throwing ropes around with this CrossFit. Have you, have know. you ever tried to like look up a, like a f- old friend from high school or something to see what's going on with them? And I let myself do it approximately once a year. Yeah. I don't do it very I often. I don't like doing it. I think it's really creepy, but I was, sometimes I'll just go like, I'll think of a friend of mine that I was like dear friends with in college who I haven't heard from and just wonder like what they're yeah, up to. Yeah. Like I had a friend that I had actually, it's funny. I had been in school with him very, very early grade levels, like kindergarten, first grade, second grade kind of thing. And then I wound up moving to Florida when I was like 10 and I went to a school and he was there and it wound up, he had moved to the same part of Florida and was going to the same school. And we were never like great friends, but we knew each other. And, um, and some, somehow I was, my memory was jogged about him and I went to look him up and I mean, he's almost completely invisible. Like he has no online presence at all no twitter no facebook no website nothing like he's living in complete anonymity off off the grid however like i found his wife's uh like she's like super big on facebook and is like real estate and doing all kinds of stuff and he's like you you can't find anything and i always i don't know there's something i'm a little jealous that's really appealing of people who like they just don't have they don't even exist online. Yeah, something we've all talked about for a long time is like, I, I would say up into like a, a movie like 1990, when was Matrix? 99, 98, you know, and that movie depends so heavily on landline telephones and phone booths. You think of that as like a very modern movie. At least I do. I'm 51. I think of that as a very modern movie. Sure. But I, was actually, I was actually texting back and forth with Todd about this while we were watching Die Hard because Die Hard is from this really strange period that I would peg as being between, let's say, 1988 right. and 1994. And movies from that time are extra double strange. It's even stranger than movies from the 70s. Because movies in the 70s, you like, oh, yeah, okay, that's pretty Jurassic. Everybody uses pay phones. You're <laughs> right. so used to that. But like, it's such a weird combination of things in Die Hard. And it's just, it's, it's a laundry list of technology that would disappear. By 1994, not disappear completely, but like would stuff that was very modern at that time would just go away. Yeah. So like, okay, uh, what's the guy's name? The the guy in the the chauffeur in the limo. It's got a car phone. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a really big deal to have a car mm-hmm. phone. Um, in this, I want to say the second Die Hard movie, she makes a call from that you know like the Motorola phone in the back of the seat. Like I never used one in my entire oh, life. Oh yeah, but like on a plane, I know what, you yes. can make a phone call. Yes, Air Phone, I think it was called. Elaine used one of those in uh, in Seinfeld. But it, I never used that. It was very costly. No, never. Would never use that. That would be like the most emergency kind of situation in the world. You right, right. But then that. you've also got, you've also got like at that time you had, um, that was kind of around the time of the rise of the fax machine, which is a magical instrument at the time. You didn't have to FedEx something. You could just send zeros and ones that recreated uh, a piece of paper somewhere else in the world. That was, I mean, a telex before that, but fax became a consumer technology that mm-hmm. anybody could have. Now layer on top of that, 
all the kind of stuff you could do on a plane. You could smoke on a plane. You could bring a lighter on a plane. The lady sitting next to Die Hard's wife has a stun gun on the plane. <laughs> just in case anybody, any, anybody bugs her. But it's so funny because then by like 1994, like so much had changed. Fax machines were already kind of beginning to go down just because of email, I think. But it, it is, it is weird how many movies the central, the central tenet of the movie kind of falls apart if the technology is different. Yes. You know, that, that there are so many things that the plot of the movie sort of relies on the fact that there's this person who there's no way for them to contact it's anyone a, it's else. It's a scarcity of information right. and availability. Right. And, uh, and yeah. And then, so then you get up even then into the nineties, like, I mean, like not to be creepy, but like, do you guys have a landline phone? No. I mean, yeah, we, y- we haven't y- had a landline phone. Yes. And yes. And no. So you, so you probably got the one in my case, like it's hard to get any Comcast package anymore that doesn't come with a phone. Right. Because it's your whole package will be cheaper if you well, allow some, their janky phone service. What allowed us to ditch the regular phone line was our alarm system that we have on the house. And I, uh, I forget the like company that does it, but the alarm system has a, what is essentially a cell phone built into the panel now. No kidding. I bet yeah. your wife hates that. Yes. Does As she a matter of fact, she does hate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the upside of that is like, there's nothing to cut. In. Not, not that I anticipate that like super professional burglars are going to try and like cut our phone line or disconnect it from the thing. <laughs> <I'm in. laughs> right. But, <laughs> right. Like there's a guy like, you know, with the camouflage the like, crawling <laughs> alongside of the base of the house and then he's walkie talking right. to another. No, but like, you know, like there's nothing. And if the power goes out, it's battery operated. So like that, that's not a big deal either. So, but that being able to get that, that made it so that we don't have to spend. And, you know, she was actually because she doesn't like it as you correctly surmised, she was recently researching the phone. She's like, Oh, you know, I, I saw an ad that said that we could get a phone line. It's only like $25 a month. I said, well, first of all, that's a lot for something that we never would use. She's like, Oh, but the kids in an emergency. I said, okay, that's a good point. Yep. I said, uh, I said, but I said, price it out. It's going to be about $45. She's like, Oh, it won't be. You think it'll be that much? I said, it'll be $45. She came back. She's like, that's, oh, I that's, called you know, the that's, company. That's, what is it, and, that's six, 600 bucks a year? Yeah, she's, it, it, was like, it was like $39, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it's like because they it's all- 500 bucks a year is a lot of money. Yes, and because they, they add all these taxes and fees and other things like yes. that. I'm like, uh, these companies now only survive because they've moved into providing high-speed internet and TV services as well. That's the only way that they've survived. No one's getting- phone lines anymore but i do kind of miss having a phone line a regular miss, phone line yeah i miss the intentionality of it i think about my grandmother um she had a phone like a phone chair it was almost like a child's desk but there was a phone seat with a with a surface where you could sit and write that down or write things down or you could have your phone book there and she would when she was on the phone she would go and sit at this on this one seat and talk on the phone and the signal is uh perfect i mean i haven't had a <laughs> My wife and I had to have a call a few weeks ago about something extremely, extremely important yeah. and time sensitive. And the call for the, for maybe the third time in my entire cell phone using life, we could not keep a signal. <sighs> and it was very, it was a big deal. And so we, I had to keep, I, I, I was like phone guy. Like, I can't, I can't hear what you're saying. I'm so sorry. And I kept calling and calling and calling. And I was oh like, I hate God. AT&T so much. The one time I want the goddamn phone to work. 
But there's so much stuff you, I mean, like, die, but go back and watch Die Hard. It's a really good movie. It's, it's really a very good movie. But there's all this stuff with, like, all the, the point is they cut all the phone lines at the Nakamichi Plaza. Like, no, now none of the phones can get through. Like, what are we going to do? Right. You know? And, uh, yeah. Th- thank God uh, Reginald uh, Vell Johnson was down there. <laughs> Not a machine out. gun. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there's so many movies that are just like that, that, that the whole tension or stress point of the movie is that a person couldn't be reached or inform- in, you know, in scarcity of information. Like you were saying, there's, there's so much like that, that that I've watched shows with my, uh, my kids and them. Like, why don't they just call him? Like, why don't they call him? I'm like, well, they right. can't call him. He's like, why? Like, he's not at home. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if you're not, if you're not in your office by your phone, phone just ring and ring and ring. Right. It just rings. Yeah. I'm like, that's not weird. We watched as a, <laughs> not as a, a family, but I, I watched with a, a couple of my friends face off the 1997 the movie. Yes. Love that movie. Uh, it is so hilarious it's and bonkers. And it's a bonkers. Bizarre. <laughs> the, the one thing that really strikes me, I'll put this in our show notes just a link to it the one thing that just so much when i watched this movie i was just like oh my gosh anytime there's an explosion there is a fire what i'll call a fireworks sound do you know the sound of fireworks Mm -hmm. that little tinkling like a bomb falling yeah and then and then the actual sound of fireworks going off you mm-hmm. could not only see the fireworks that would be surrounding any explosion, but that would make the little fireworks sound. And this movie, I, I remember one of the people I was watching. But oh, you're was, saying they literally used fireworks as yes. their sound effects. Yes, like the oh, sound of fireworks. This movie was made for about $80 million. It made at the box office almost $250 million. This wow. movie was considered a, an awesome, epic movie. And I remember at the time thinking this movie was like a great movie like i remember being seeing this and being like whoa that movie was rad man like that was crazy it's a it's a blockbuster yeah it's so bizarre there are so many things about it that are disturbing and fascinating and the movie is so weird it's when was the the last time you've seen it the daughter is so creepy oh yeah when uh travolta who is okay so for people who don't understand they the the premise of this movie the premise of the movie <laughs> is shockingly simple yes why don't we switch faces between two people <laughs> right so you have john travolta and nicholas cage With nicholas, completely different weird hairlines nicholas cage is a villain and john travolta is an fbi special agent and caster pollock caster troy is the bad guy Caster uh, Troy. Uh, oh, Caster and Pollux, is that it? And Sean Something Archer like is the good uh, the good guy. Sean Archer, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Caster Archer played by, uh, played by Travolta. And mm-hmm. so it, the movie starts out showing sort of the bizarre, insane antics, just so you get the point that Caster Troy, Nicolas Cage, is completely homicidal and insane. He's a loose cannon. Yes. And, and so they, I don't want to ruin too much of it, but... They they finally managed to capture uh, Nick Cage and Travolta. Then I, I'm not sure why they decide this is a good idea, but they got to infiltrate Castro Troy's crew. Right? There, there's a bomb. There's a ticking bomb situation. That's what it was. There's a bomb going to go off in L.A. I guess. It's got and, the countdown timer and everything. And so they send they send Travolta in. They want to send him into the prison to like get the information from uh, 
Nicholas Cage's brother, mm-hmm. Pollux. Pollux. And so they send him in, but they realize they can't just send him in. So they have this outlandish ex- this surgery they can do and so rather than keeping the villain faceless for a little while they go ahead and give him the, t- the cop's face well the cop's face now, technically the cop's face is, is still floating in its oh, little right, bath because that's right then the baddies got in yes, right because yes. because um nick cage, in a long time. cage wakes up mm-hmm. from his permanent coma somehow he yeah, just wakes up deadpool yeah right? <laughs> yeah he's or the joker cutting off his own face he's got no face Mm-hmm. And then somehow his crew brings the surgeons back in and they're like, you're going to give me Sean Archer's face now and I'm going to like go and take over his life. And like, as they say in the movie, bone his wife. Mm. And uh, and so then there's these very. So now you have and then because now he comes back and he's FBI special agent Sean Archer. Right. So he can take over the full life. And in the process of doing that, come and be like. No, uh, no one, no, Nicolas Cage, a.k.a. the real Sean Archer, no one knows you're in here and they think you're the real. Uh, Let's go eat somebody's peach. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they leave Castor Troy stranded in the prison as he's got to like prove who he is. And uh, and and meanwhile, uh, you've got Travolta like looking at the daughter, his daughter, yeah. like in it. Yeah. It's very disturbing. And the other thing that's so weird about this movie is it's so over the top like every aspect of it is mm-hmm. over the top and and crazy and i just don't like the people's reactions are strange and it's just so it's so bizarre that watching it i can't Im, Im, like how was this taken seriously even as a as an entertainment factor how how did it do mm-hmm. how what were we 90s, thinking man, in 97 different time yeah, yeah, we haven't watched that one. We watched the Face Off TV no, show. Don't watch that with your kid. No, but there no. was a TV show too. <laughs> That's the one about Hollywood makeup. Oh, it's a reality show we watch where they do uh, Hollywood makeup challenges. And basically, everybody everybody makes Calabos or something from Game of Thrones. Pretty much. <laughs> remember Calabos? Remember how Calabos looked in uh, Clash of the Titans? No, I'm trying to remember. Calabos. How do I spell that? C-A-L-I-B-O-S? Uh, I think it's C-L-I-B-O-S. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was the stop motion picture uh, devil looking guy. Yeah. Demon boy with a yeah. little uh, afro. Yeah. Yeah. And he looks good. He looks good. Times have changed. Times have changed. Um, uh, oh, Dan, I think we, uh, you have something you want to tell me about that oh, you like yes. this week. I think, it's, I think it's something that I like too. It's, I, I know for a fact that you like Eero. Mm, Eero. It oh, is wait, Eero. Oh, Eero. Hero <laughs> is great. This is mm. the Wi-Fi that keeps we, getting better. Keeps getting better. What has changed? Well, first let me tell people what it is. It is the Wi-Fi that we've always wanted. It is fast. It is reliable. You get a great connection in every room and in your backyard and in your garage everywhere. Because what they do is they have the, they take the concept of multiple access points that get placed throughout your house. They even have little nightlights that you can turn on and off if you want. And these things spread this mesh network through your entire house or office. I have one here at the office and it works great because the Wi-Fi is so bad here at the office. I went and got an Eero just to use here. And what they have, these little, this, this is the second generation era I'm talking about. And these mm-hmm. little, little, little mini things, they plug into the wall socket. They're called beacons. And you now have 
and and their app you get the app on your phone and you go through your house and it says you should install a beacon in this room because it knows based on the wi-fi signal like okay here's where one could be useful you plug it in it wants to make mesh make mesh make mesh make mesh make mesh Mm-hmm. And these are beautiful. The unboxing experience is great. It's a little bit Apple-like. They, they These are not the sort of clunky, low-quality crap that you're used to getting. These are high-end. They look great. They work great. They update themselves like over the air every couple weeks so that they're all you know they're, it's always up to date. If there's some security thing, you automatically get it. Uh, it's just – it's great. They've got a 5 gigahertz radio. So they're, they're tri-band. They're twice as fast as the previous version and faster than anything else that I've used in my experience. And what does that mean? It means you could do stuff simultaneously with what your kids are doing, with what your your spouse is doing, with what your coworkers is doing. And you're going to get these great signals throughout your whole entire house. It connects over Ethernet or wirelessly in any combination that you want. It sits flat. It's got a really nice power adapter. Those little things matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's just great. You gotta have the mesh. You gotta have the mesh. Gotta get the mesh. Get, get get the mesh. I'm trying to see now. This is one of those things where like I get confused about what's official and what's not official. What's labs? What's not labs? So two. Can I mention two new things? Yeah. I mean, new to me. One thing is they started something called Eero Labs, where uh, you can. Um, I don't know. I forgot how I got onto this. I think I said, put, please put me on the Eero Labs. And it's uh, new features that they're working on. They have things like. Local DNS caching. So mm-hmm. you get faster lookups because it's doing it locally. Smart queue management. Uh, one that's really cool is band steering, where if it has detected that your device can be on the, is it 5G? What are the two speeds? There's um, a faster speed and a slower speed. 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. Yeah. And so, you know, you would, why, why put a 2.4 gigahertz device on the 5 gigahertz since they can't do it? If it, it no, I'm not a technologist, but basically it, it realizes that if this is a device, that can and has uh, gotten onto the faster part of the network prefer that over clouding up the um, more popular, slower part of the network. Exactly. So that's that's really smart. But they got this new thing, and in, in fairness, they did give me a freebie on this, but they got this really cool new thing, it's new to me, called Eero Plus. And this takes, it adds a bunch of new features, but it takes a previous feature and makes it really baller. So this is a thing you sign up for, I believe it's a subscription service, and basically it monitors... For for nasties, it looks for stuff like it, it tries, to, tries to keep you safe. It gives you some. Uh, they have partners where you can get um, you can get like it comes with a subscription for one password. Is that correct? That's bananas. Um, and some other stuff, a VPN. But it's basically just running. It says here it's done one hundred twenty seven point one thousand inspections. So it's looking for bad stuff to be happening on the network. It's looking for malware. But it also has a really basic and easy to configure content filter. Now this is pretty cool. Because, first of all, what a lot of people may not know is there's already something in Eero called Profiles. So Eero goes in and it recognizes, I believe, I've spent so much time in this app, you don't even want to know. Um, it's actually really fun to use this app. Uh, your Eero will show you every device that is currently connected to your Eero network, and it will show you devices that were recently connected to your network. And it'll show you stuff like how much bandwidth it's currently using. This is all very cool stuff. Then you get something called Profiles. And a profile is where you go in and say, okay, I got a kid. And I want my kid to have the following limits on access. This is part of just the regular service. Is you can go in and say, like, this iPhone, this iPad, maybe even this game system are all things that my kid uses. Don't let those be used at these times of day. But now, if you get this Eero Plus deal, you can leverage that further by saying, I want a filter for adult content 
on the, the devices that my kids use, meaning you don't want them to see it. Um, you can have illegal or criminal sites, filter those out, and violent content. I have not extensively tested this on myself. I did apply it to my daughter, and she has not complained about it yet. So either she's not looking for Silk Roads or uh or uh or uh yeah i don't know but but uh but it's super cool and and it's keeping the nasties off your network that's a nice thing euro plus euro plus that went I, on too long i'm really no, sorry no it but didn't i, I didn't product. i didn't know about plus actually that's a very cool uh so here's they recently improved the little icons i have gone in and put my own bespoke emoji next to every device i've renamed it to a friendly name for me and if you ever see anything show up on your network you think is weird, you can say, you know what, you're not allowed to have access anymore. Oh, the guest network. You ever use this? Yeah. You can have a guest network that you can turn on and off. We keep ours off unless we have a guest at the house where we flip it on. They point their goddamn iPhone at a QR code. They don't even have to enter a password. It just logs them in to, they don't even have to have the Euro app installed. My, my, um, my daughter's friend, you know, nine years old, 10 years old. She just shoots her camera at that. And now she's on our guest network while she's there. It's that easy. It's very cool. It's a really good service, you guys. So check it out for yourselves. I love Eero. They have free overnight shipping to the U.S. or Canada. Mm. Hmm. Our right. friends in the great white north, if you go to Eero.com, that's spelled E-E-R-O, Eero.com, at checkout, select overnight shipping. And then when you are checking out, put the code back to work, all one word, and it will make it free. So uh, keep that. I mean, you can buy, you know what? Buy the Eero wherever you want to buy it. But if you buy it here, you support the show. You get free overnight shipping. Eero.com. Code is back to work. And we appreciate their support. Thanks, Eero. Buck, buck. Uh, before we go on, I would like to th- uh, have a little shout out of thanks. Oh, did to, you get some more goodies? I got some more. Well, my son got some more goodies. We got three, three things. Um, uh, but I, I just want to, I want to thank... Uh, you know, longtime listener, Mr. Anderson. We missed him. And uh, also... Mr. Anderson. Mr. Uh, Mr. Simon, uh, who both sent something amazing to my kid. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I also wanted to thank Jeff, who I had lunch with yesterday. He is a listener here in Austin. And uh, he's um, he, he kind of came out of the, the woodwork with this thing. He had... And it's it's ours now, and I played it last night. A uh, Texas Instruments TI ninety nine four A. Oh, I had that. I so had that. That thing. It's the classic. I, I never had this one. I wanted it. You but, had to get it for. You had to get a calculator for algebra class, and that was the one we got. <laughs> so this this no 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 this is not a calculator. Oh, I'm sorry. The TI ninety nine four A, the computer the where you computer. can make a cyan background and the cassette That's, tapes. And yes. All that. Yes. Oh God. And Sam had one of those. We made player character sheets on it. He had, <laughs> he had this, and it's in great condition. He even it even had the little uh, voice synthesizer, speech synthesizer. What? You're with kidding? It, and a Maybe whole you bunch back of, up your programs onto a cassette. It, well, I don't have the cassette player, but um, oh his his idea to get around that was to to do something with uh, like a modem and some other things. But I uh, I got this thing and and I brought it home. And I brought this thing into the the like the room where we have the TV, and I put it down in there. And right away, they're like, "What's what's this thing?" I said, "This is like I didn't have this one." I said, "But this is like what I had." I believe that I forget the year this thing came out, but I was into I'm pretty the, sure it's eighty four. Okay, eighty four. My my friend Sam got one. I was I had the um, 
the TRS-80 color computer yeah, instead of something. instead of this one. Uh, and this is not to be confused with the Timex Sinclair with the little membrane keyboard that was is under this $99. This came out in 1981. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. Wow. Oh, it's so cool looking. So it's I so took this space thing age. and oh yeah, and it's silver and it's a black keyboard and you slide the cartridge in. It's got this huge long place where you slide the cartridge in. So you slide the cartridge in. So I, I took this thing out, dusted it off, put it, plugged it in. And then it had, uh, it came with the little RF modulator that turned it into coax. I said, well, I've got a, co- I've got a coax input on the back of this TV you know, regular modern day TV. I said, maybe it'll just work. And I plugged it in and at first it was just static. And then I I said, oh yeah, right. And I just kind of jiggled the connection and it crystallized and became crystal clear. And I'll, I will send you after the show some videos of the games that we were playing. If you could call them that from 1981. Yes. There was a uh, pole position game. There was a, a Pac-Man ripoff. There was uh, some other wonderful, horrible games that we played for a while. And, and my son was just like, uh, like, I don't even, he's, he thought it was the coolest thing in the world, but he's also like, these are the worst games I've ever seen. And he loves yeah. them. He loves them. Oh um, so a huge shout out to Jeff for, uh, for bringing that level of entertainment. And uh, so seriously, guys, if you have anything cool, my son is super into this stuff now. Like this is like it went, it, he's gone overboard. This is all he cares about now. Like this is his whole thing. He wants to collect everything over the weekend. We went to there was a, in Austin. There was a retro gaming um, convention at the Palmer center. And we went there and uh, they had tons and tons of, Oh my God, he must've loved that. They had like a whole museum of the history of like gaming consoles that was there and people playing games. They had, uh, did you ever play marathon? The game, the Mac game marathon by Bungie. Um, That's, that was a great game. They had that, they had doom, they had quake, they had all the old games, networked land styles. So you could play Commodore 64 set up. It was a great time. So, um, you know, it's funny because like, a year ago, he really wasn't into this. He was just starting. And I tried to get him into this kind of stuff. Like all the stuff that I, that it like where it's okay for us to like now that we, we were branded as nerds for liking when we were mm-hmm. 10 or 15. Uh, now it's like cool to like. And so like Star Trek and Star Wars and computers and stuff like this is cool now. So he's into it and I couldn't be happier. So thanks to everybody who's been sending stuff in and uh if you've got something hit me up on twitter at dan benjamin and we'll uh, i'll pay for shipping if you want to get rid of something let me know i don't like to compliment our listeners too much because i don't want them to get used to it <laughs> yeah but uh we have really nice listeners we do we have the best it's very listeners. sweet of people to do that and it's, it's cool so that nice he's getting into such a nerdy uh nerdy hobby yeah i love it um Ba, 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 ba. Feedback. I got, I got, I, I did, I prepared a little bit. You know, wow, we got so many good emails in the last week and a half, two weeks. Some of them are really difficult questions, but I picked out a few of those. If you want to talk about those, you got anything else before we talk about listener stuff? No, sir. Oh, Jesus, we're at 42 minutes. My God, yeah. I got to pick up the pace. I know. I wanted to mention one thing in passing a book that I uh, mentioned on a couple shows, having read people ask. It's called uh, Stopping the Noise in Your Head. Uh, it's a good book about anxiety. It's in show notes. Where do people find show notes for this episode? They're going to go to five by five TV slash B as in brothers. Two is in the number W as in wumpus wumpus slash three, eight, five. Um, 
Maybe we could warm up with an easy one. Okay. Not easy, but less difficult one. Remember us, uh, I put this in show notes also, a couple times we've talked about mise en place. Uh-huh. Um, mise en place being, uh, I'll read your definition in a minute. Well, maybe I'll just read a definition now as long as I'm here. Uh, mise en place I learned about from watching uh, Top Chef. Um, and they kept using that phrase, and I didn't know what it meant. I think it's also mentioned in the movie Ratatouille, mm-hmm. where it is certainly... The, I don't know if they mention it by name, but mise en place figures heavily into uh, how they run that kitchen. Uh, mise en place is a French culinary phrase, which means putting in place or everything in its place. It refers to the setup required before cooking and is often used in professional kitchens to refer to organizing and arranging the ingredients uh, that a cook will require for the menu items that are expected to be prepared during a shift. One thing that's interesting is mise en place can be used as, as a, and this, again, this is in the Internet Science article, which is in notes. Um, sometimes it's used as a noun. It can also be used as a verb. I have to do my mise en place, or I have to mise en place before we cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a state of mind. It's a certain um, notion of uh, preparedness for what you're doing. And it's something we've talked about on here before. Does that refresh your memory? I, I do remember that. Uh, listener Brian says, Your past conversations on mise en place have been very helpful. And I've been working to incorporate this principle into some large and small parts of my day and week. I've noticed something during this year-long effort. Mise en place removes the inconvenience of small projects. For instance, I used to get to the gym, open my locker, pull my workout clothes out and onto the bench, and then sit there while I take a few minutes to turn my socks right side in, turn my shirt right side in, um, un- unknock the drawstring on unknock the drawstring of my shorts. Uh, I'd sit there and think working out is so inconvenient. Now when I undress after working out, I turn my shirt right side out. Same with the socks. I unknot my shoes. Get everything ready for tomorrow, tomorrow's workout. And then tomorrow when I open the locker, I just grab my clothes, put them on, and get to the workout without thoughts of inconvenience. This can apply to a lot of my day now thanks to the principles behind mise en place. My nice. question is, where? yeah, really cool. Where else in your life are you using mise en place? Where are you finding it helpful? Listener, Brian. Mm. Um, I, I think... I have a I, the way that my my brain works for better or for worse. I kind of can't help but mise en place my way out of things. Um, it's 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 uh it's one of those things where like um, once you kind of get it in your bones, especially if you're a worrier or a planner like I am, it's sort of difficult not to. I mean, I have to beat back the demon dogs on any projects if, if I, a project if I haven't thought through and prepared. Um, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to just kind of bring this up and toss it out to you, see if there's anything that you do like that in your work. But I also just wanted to kind of just remind people of this concept because um, I think it can be a very powerful force in whatever you decide to do, cooking or otherwise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean you can part. think of it. You can think of it as like it's like your setup. You know what I mean? Like it's your it's your your stuff. Your stuff is set up. It's the way. Yeah, I mean, I used to be a pretty steady vendor of what people have called life hacks Mm -hmm. and this idea of these little tricks for making life easier and and like how to repair a hole in your shoe with whipped cream or whatever. Like, there's all kinds of little shortcuts for stuff, but there's also something that, and when I, with a couple years of thinking about this, there's something very, yeah, truly like kind of philosophical and mindful about the idea of mise en place, which is with that, and I'm sorry to keep using that phrase. It's a really silly French phrase, but you know, I think if you don't introduce some of these ideas of preparation into what you do, everything feels more choppy than it needs to. Mm-hmm. You will notice things. You'll get. You'll notice little distractions more. You will feel frustrated more. And I think it can become a kind of 
truly a philosophy, but also a way of kind of thinking about the continuity of your life, which sounds silly, but this is, this well, is an you, important concept to me. Well, I mean, I just thinking about like stuff around the house. Um, and I'm not saying I'm great at this, but I think I'm pretty good at this, which is like whatever project I'm going to undertake, um, it's almost like somebody drops a thousand ping pong balls that I immediately have to start cleaning up. There's all these <laughs> things that I have to think through about, okay, but what about this? Okay, but what about this? Not just risk mitigation, but something as simple as, well, you know, don't start making a birthday cake if you haven't gone through the ingredient list. Is the oven working? Do you, do you have the right size pan? Do you have eggs? Mm-hmm. There's all of this stuff that a shocking amount of the time people start to do a project, even as quotidian as making uh, something for, for dinner and realize they don't have that ingredient. And so like the, you know, it's kind of like a galaxy brain sort of thing. On the one hand, it's really useful to read through the entire recipe before you get started, learn what you have to have out, put away the things that you don't need. But I also, the way it becomes a philosophy though, is then you start seeing more integration in the things in your life. And this is a somewhat GTD-ish concept, but like if you're thinking about what you need to do today, well, that could be something as simple as I need to go to the grocery store. Well, Johnny Misenplas is here to tell you like, whoa, there's actually a whole lot of stuff to that. Why are you going to the grocery store? Well, I know I'm out of milk. Okay, anything else you need to know about? Well, actually, we do need to bake a cake to take to this party. Or actually, I, I have this uh, stuff I want to thaw out. I want to make, um, I don't know, chicken cordon blue or whatever. Do I have the materials for that? But a trip to the grocery store ends up revealing a lot about your calendar and a lot about your schedule, a lot about your state of mind, really. I mean, if you're thinking about when you go to the grocery store, if you haven't thought about it, if you don't have a list, well, how do you get the list until you know what your preferences and obligations are? Like, do you want to buy stuff that is going to go bad in two days if you hadn't planned to cook it for five days? Mm-hmm. Just accept this as an analogy. I think all the things I'm saying here are true, but they are especially, they're easier to understand if you think about it in terms of cooking. But it is really true for all kinds of stuff in your life. All the way down to like, do you ever want to be a person who double books an appointment again? Well, good mise en place in, in a productivity environment means looking at last week's calendar, looking at next week's calendar. Did I leave anything out? Is there anything I need to follow up on? Before you do any of your worky work, you need to do the meta work of making sure that everything is in place. Because then you're not going to be distracted. You're not going to be stressed out or you're going to be less stressed out because you've walked through all the integrations that you hadn't maybe thought about. Are you forgetting that you have a pickup on this day? Are you forgetting that, like in our case, oh, that's the last day at camp. We need to go to the closing ceremony for that. Have you thought about that? And is that about cooking? Not necessarily, but it kind of is. Because your life is your life. It's all like super integrated stuff. And, you know, before you get too fancy about what kind of knife to buy, at least keep in mind that it is very valuable to walk through what you need to do. A chef doing mise en place is, first of all, thinking of preparation. I need to get the ingredients that I need in place. And putting those in place, guess what? I might discover I don't have the ingredients I need. Yeah, that's part of mise en place. You're also thinking through the project. What is the order these things need to happen in? Are there parallel processes? Are there things that are working independently? Right. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it becomes about a habit of practice. This is a way that I operate. I do this stuff. You know, there's a way that I became a person who's early for things, which is I've lined my life up through luck and privilege into such a way that I can be early for things. That's part of my habit and practice. That's part of my mise en place is I never want to be running in and not know why the microphone's not attached. Mm-hmm. Like that's just part of who I've chosen to be. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'd, I'd like to return to this and continue thinking about this because I think there are instances of this in almost everything that we do. And as you get older and start to understand 
some of the connections in your life, you can't help but think this way because it, it, maybe you can help but think that way. This would cause me so much more stress than I have if I didn't think about how these things are connected and how I can prepare appropriately. Yeah, I love that. And I think there, when you were describing in the beginning, like that process of getting yourself set up for something, what you're really doing is you're, and this is, this is a, a cheesy phrase, but I'll use it. You're setting yourself up for success by going to the trouble to think, what do I need to accomplish this particular task that I want to accomplish? And for so many years, me personally, if it was like, oh, I got to go fix this thing or I've got to paint this room. My goal was to try and rush through the preparation stage as much as possible and say, oh, you know what? I'll, I don't need that new thing. I'll just go and I'll, I'll try. I'll, I'll get it done this way. And then what happens inevitably is you're halfway through the project and you realize either that thing that you thought you had is you don't have it or the thing that you were going to use doesn't work or whatever. And the trouble that you run into is then you've got to stop what you're doing and go and 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 buy that thing or get that thing or fix this other thing to make the first part of your project work. I know this seems which is super frustrating. Isn't it super frustrating? It is, and you feel like you feel like an ignoramus. And starting out instead by saying, "Okay," and again, I I have to refer to the tome on this kind of topic for me, which is any other motorcycle maintenance by Persig where he describes at length, uh, and I forget if he was doing an oil change or if he was just doing some routine maintenance on his motorcycle, but he described the process that he uses to uh, disassemble and reassemble the pieces that he's working on his motorcycle. And he talks about how, uh, how you know, I think he used an egg carton to do it, where he would take oh, it to out. to put like bolts and stuff Yeah, in. and so as he's starting out, he would start on the left and work to the right, and each time he would take a bolt out, he would put it down, and then he'd put the piece down. And it's done in such a way that when you're reassembling it, the order is already laid out for you. Every bolt that you removed mm-hmm. is in the right place. And, and when you go to put the thing back, the next bolt is the one that you need. It's not just in a pile on the ground. And, and so like hmm, the same really, thing. That's really smart. Like having a magnet to which you attach all of the bolts and screws is a smart and clever solution, but it doesn't have that built-in sense of order to order, it. Order, right. So and the order trumps the cleverness in that way. It totally does, and and there are so many little ways to do this, even if you're just putting on on the ground, but he would describe like he had a certain towel that he would lay down in. And all of these different parts of this process that if you if you are focusing on the process as opposed to the end goal – it can completely reframe your reference point for it. Instead of saying, I just want to get this done so I can have this thing done. Well, yeah, then then your process is going to suck and, and you're not going to take any pleasure from doing it or doing it the right way. Whereas if you're emphasizing mm-hmm. the process to it, which would include that setup in the beginning for cooking or otherwise, then you can you can derive pleasure from the act of doing as opposed to just the end result that you're trying to rush to. That was a big thing for me. I can see why that is appealing and I can see how that would have a big influence on what you do. And even though you bought me a copy of that book and I still haven't read it, but I, I do think about the concept it's not that like you're discussing you're just going to jump into on like a well, Friday but, night, you know, but it's, it's a concept that I do think about actually quite a lot. And that sense of the idea of quality or integrity or like, you know, like with my kid and I'm far from great at this, but like sometimes it's difficult to teach or persuade what seems like a very simple idea. Um, like obviously uh, we want to be organized about things like how do we get out of the house in the event of a fire? 
So we practice that. We know how this goes. We keep this doorway clear. There's all this kind of stuff that's just this kind of back, background hum of what we would do in that situation where we'd all try to be very so, sober and focused on getting out. Anybody could accept that that's important. It becomes less critically important on stuff where it, quote unquote, doesn't matter. And I, I worry sometimes that I just mostly come off as a pill with my kid rather than really trying to get to a deeper point, which is I try to say to her, no matter how stupid the thing you just got is, Read the instructions all the way through. Um, always read the instructions. You don't have to read the whole manual, but read the instructions because there are things in life that need to be done in a certain order. The part that's difficult for me to impress for obvious reasons, several obvious reasons, is that even if it's how to open your Kinder egg, do it with quality and integrity. <laughs> right, right. Don't throw, the, don't throw the trash on the floor. Don't have pieces of your Lego in different places. Like, it sounds dumb. This, this is still going to be fun. It could arguably be more fun if you take it kind of seriously. So where it's, if it's things like, you know, we're replacing, uh, we, sometimes we have a, a very unenvironmental event at our house called Battery Night, which is when we change the batteries in lots of things. And she helps me with that. And we talk about, you know, something as dumb as, and this is a little bit OCD probably, but like, first of all, I take all the batteries out and I put the spent batteries over here. So never again in my life will I confuse a dead battery and a live battery because they don't intermingle. You do these things in a certain order. You test it before you put the bottom on. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's all this dumb stuff. Is any of that important? In that context, no, it's not. But I'm not really worried about you having a functioning flashlight as much as I am in you understanding process. And when, when that there is a, there's a right way and every other way to do a process. And if you start practicing on the stuff that's not mission critical, there's a good chance you're going to be a lot better at that by the time you reach something that is critical. That could be things like the way checklists are being used in, in medicine. Right. It could be the way that we're pi with pilots. One reason we have so few problems in certain industries is because people have said, look, I'm an idiot. I need to physically check this off a list when I do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that has to be for a tightly wound person. But that's why I say that like, you know, a lot of this is about a state of mind rather than a specific set of behaviors. It's, it's about a way of saying, as you would say, maybe like, what is, how do I maintain the quality or in my words, the integrity of this process? Because believe me, if you had two nearly the same size screws, you don't know which is which. Maybe you're now you've maybe stripped them a little bit. Mm. Like that's no fun. And you wouldn't be there if you had walked through, if you'd read the manual and if you'd done it in a sensible order. I sound so tightly wound. No. But like, it's just, it's hard to like, and even that, so that dumb example is like when you're, when you're taking this, uh, so like, you know, when I'm taking something apart or I'm opening something, um, you know, there's another phrase in the kitchen, which is clean as you go. So like, you don't necessarily have to clean every little thing, but try not to have stuff spread all over the place. If you can rinse it out as you go, keep the dirty dishes in this area, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and don't throw trash on the floor. Like somebody's going to have to clean that up. There, you know, there, I mean, there are people who will prepare entire meals without cleaning up until the very end. And I think that's probably normal for people. I can't, I can't function like that. Like if I'm making something, if I bring something out, if I'm making eggs for the kids, well, if you're waiting for the water to boil, it wouldn't hurt to go and at least rinse out the bowl that you had mixed something. in. Right. There's nothing to stop you from doing that. You're not, you know, that is the closest thing to what you could call multitasking, which is really parallel processes. Right. Parallel processes are, all, are like, um, multitasking with humans is ultimately about parallel processes. There's, you can't multitask. It's impossible. Exactly. But that's a sane way to do it. Um, but the, you know, the, the benefit of that is, I don't know, maybe in my case, yeah, it partly does keep the demon dogs at bay, but, 
and and sometimes it does get close to an affliction because there have been times where let's say I receive something that I know to be a gift. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, There are times where I won't open the Amazon box until I know I have time to write a thank you note, Uh which Amazon has now made a lot easier by including a QR code that that you can photograph that will send that you let you write a thank you note on your phone to that person, which is nice. I don't write handwritten thank you notes that much, but you know what I'm saying? That's the kind of thing where like that. Now that does seem like a little, a little bit crazy, but like, you know, am I going to do that a month from now? Like probably not. Right. But it's, it, you know, your life is a tile puzzle in many, many ways. You, you know, you have to keep an open tile somewhere before you even get to the hazardous task of trying to put these things in order or make a picture of a clown. There has to be some sense of, like, how you do these things. And um, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting idea. We should return to it. I'm going to think about it more. All right. In plus. Let's do it. That went on longer than I expected. I apologize. It's okay. <sighs> Calibos. Difficult. Cal- Calibos. Oh, Calibos. We got some more difficult ones. I was telling my wife, uh, my wife, this morning that like I've got like four or five really good listener emails here, and there's like a thread that runs through a lot of them that I suppose is kind of natural given the nature of our show. There's a thread that runs through all these emails I pulled aside. Maybe we'll just do one, one or two. Um, just this, uh, this, this sense of like, I don't know what do they, what do they say? The wheel out of kilter, like. Not sure I'm doing the right thing or feeling the right thing about my job right now. And it seems like we got a lot of emails from people who are kind of on an existential bubble title about how to proceed given where they are right now. And so we have a lot of flavors of that. Don't you agree that good emails this week? Yeah, very good ones. Um, Let's pick one that's not too hard. Clicking, clicking. I have a few see, open, okay. but I want to see which ones you want to go to. This one's okay. I, I, okay, let me do one. I got one from listener Chris um, that I have titled, What If There Is No Plan B? Okay. Um, I, I have a question for you that you might find interesting. What if plan A fails, but there is no plan B? For years, I was fairly sure I'd like to and would end up as a researcher in academia. I'm currently close to finishing up my master's degree, and I increasingly question this idea I've had about how my future would look like, whether I'm good enough and whether I even want to pursue this path in the first place. However, I find it difficult and think about other prospects. After having envisioned a future career in this one way for more than five years, it's proven to be difficult to reconsider other jobs or careers in my field. When it came down to it, I know, um, when it came down to it, I knew I would be pragmatic enough to do something that paid the bills, and I have mixed feelings at best about the attitude of having to identify with one's job. But more idealistically speaking, what would you, would you have any suggestions on how to figure out what could be a good plan B? Yeah. I like this because it's difficult. Oh, I'm sorry, listener Chris, this is a, this is a crappy situation, especially today. Um, but I like this because it's, it's difficult and, um, Maybe we can help. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's it's one of those things where when you start on your path to get a degree, and in this case, Chris is getting a master's degree, you know, you don't, I don't really think I knew when I was trying to pick my major in college, I didn't know anything. And what I don't know is if, if Chris is in school and went from getting the bachelor's degree right to getting the master's. Sounds like it, you know, ending up as a researcher in academia. It sounds like Chris is balls deep in academia. Yeah, I think so too. So I think he just, he went right from one to the next one. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky because 
you especially get into today, it. especially yes. today. Yeah. This is what I said to my lady friend this morning. It's like, I was like, Christ, all of these are questions I would answer with way more confidence 10 years ago. Oh yeah. 10 years ago, especially 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I, I would have been much more confident in saying, don't fret. If you have a terminal degree, if you have some kind of sec- post-secondary education and you've got a degree, especially if you get letters after your name, you are going to be fine. Is that like, not true today, do you think? I don't know if it's true today. I don't know if it's as true today. Well, I graduated from college in 1990 <laughs> in the midst of a recession. Yeah. And I remember feeling like, oh, my God, what could be worse? You know, short of like, I guess, you know, <laughs> coming out with a finance degree in 1930, maybe. Yeah, uh, right, right, it's right. Not a great, it was a, not a great time to find a job. But I, I think that is a, a fraction of the difficulty that people are facing today for all kinds of reasons. The amount of student debt that people have, yes. the shrinking of the middle class, not just as a financial entity, but as an intellectual exercise. Like, it's, I mean, there's doctors who are worried about their job at this point. You know, there's so much change oh, yeah. going on. I think having a master's degree is no longer the guarantee of a pretty good job that it was 10, 15 years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Uh, but here's, there's some things that jump out to me about this email. And I had marked this one also. Um, he says, uh, okay, here it is. I'm, I'm currently close to finishing up my master's degree. And here's the part. I increasingly question this idea I've had about how my future would look, whether I'm good enough mm-hmm. and whether I even want to pursue this path in the first place. Well, first of all, I mean, I, you can probably speak better to it than, than me, but the whole concept of being good enough for something I, I'm going to call BS on that. Everybody's good enough for anything that they want to try like that. Mm-hmm. I, I would say wipe, wipe that concern, Chris, from your mind. Yes. Because you're good. I can, I can tell you without meeting you, you're good enough. No, because nothing is benefit. That fretting is not benefiting. Right. You and will not, that will not help you. That, that will not help you. Uh, now, whether or not you want to pursue the path, that's, that's a valid question, but are you good enough? Of course you are. Of course you mm-hmm. are. So that's just move on from that one. That's just going to cloud everything else for you because that sounds to me like self-doubt, which is different from, am I, do I want to do this yeah. or am I good enough to do it? Those are very, oh, yes. very different questions to me. And this is, again, I've been quoting this book a lot because I've been reading it and I've just been thinking about it a lot, that book, Stopping the Noise in Your Head. But mm. the critical point this guy makes in the book is if you're anxious or you have a, you know, a legitimate OCD, if you have these things, um, something you are going to have to do to survive and to thrive is to learn to distinguish signal from noise. And the problem for people like me who are anxious is that we have trouble distinguishing signal from noise. Noise feels like signal. Mm -hmm. So signal is something that tells you that there is something to be done. Once you know there is something to be done, you can begin to take steps to do that thing. The problem with noise is there's not really much to be done about noise, except that allowing that noise and inviting that noise will, ironically enough, just bring more noise. Mm. So pivoting back, what I'm saying here is I hear you. We're, we're all worried about being dinglings. Nobody likes feeling like they're not up to it. But is that signal or noise? Okay. I suspect that that is noise in that you're feeling self-doubt because you feel unsure of yourself right now, which is a totally understandable thing. But I would address that as noise. If you want to address that as signal, it becomes a very different kind of thing. Because now we're saying, okay, I increasingly question the idea of how my future would look, whether I'm good enough, and whether I ever want to pursue this path. Well, okay, what would you need to do before you even decide how to get better at what you do? How would you determine whether you're good at what you do in a, in a, you know, in a, in a legitimate, empirical way? 
rather than if we if we if you accept that that is signal and not noise, if it's noise, dude, you gotta you gotta get past it and read right. that book. Right. But if it is signal, now you have a path. Because what is it about, uh, as you say here, pursue this path in the first place? If you want to pursue that path, what would you need to do differently to know if you are good enough and how you would become good enough? But I would also, and I, I don't know you, listener Chris, I don't think, so I would be prepared to address that as noise. And when you address that as noise, there's a whole different procedure that you go through. But I think that's a starting point because everybody has that self-doubt, especially when you're feeling bad. That's not unusual at all. My... Uh, advice is mostly an observation. Um, and I can almost promise you that this observation will turn out to be true for you. Um, but it's not going to be that helpful to know right now, mm-hmm. which is that nobody I know is still on plan A. Everybody that I know <laughs> I like that. is at least on G or H at this point. And the part that, so that's, that's really unsatisfying. But you know what? We all survived. And in some cases thrived because we were not cleft to plan A. The other part of that is not a bad thing. And, and so, you know, ultimately, um, my pseudo advice is to not let the fear about plan A end up salting your whole game. Like you've got to figure out a way to get out of that. I mean, maybe you've outgrown what you thought you were going to do and you need to at least cognitively start over. Maybe not academically, but cognitively start over. Um, and so I, I pitched that to my wife. I was like, damn it, man. These people keep asking hard questions, and I feel like a dope because I don't know the answer. And she goes, well, yeah, what you said is right, but also he should look at uh, doing academic administration and higher education. He'd be really good at that. I was like, you know what? That's really good advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my wife says, yeah. my wife, who works in higher ed academic administration, says, it sounds like listener Chris would be really good for that. Have you looked into that? It's a good gig. Yeah. You get insurance and stuff. And there's so, and that's the thing is that there's so many related fields to the field that you're in, whatever the field that you're in is in. And it, you will find that you can, you know, my degree is in English. I had an mm-hmm. English degree, technical writing degree. And I don't think I ever did tech writing as a job. I went, no, I had an interest and a background in computers for many, many, many years. So when I graduated, it was more like I had a piece of paper that said I graduated from college. Now I can go do what I want to do, which was write software and do computer programs and do <laughs> training and, and like stuff like that. And then eventually IT, like that was what I wanted to do. And, and I would show up and I would say, I've got this like degree, but that's not what I, and I, for a long time, I had to sort of explain myself of like, well, yeah, like I have this degree, but you should hire me anyway, even though it's not in the field that I'm in, because I'm good at this other stuff that I've been doing for longer. It's possible to just go and get the job that you want, but I think if you can find something that's related, like your like your wife said, that that's a mm-hmm. great idea. But there's a yeah. lot. I just want. I just feel like she was. A, she was a. She did mostly film studies. There you go. Now she's got a big shot, fancy lady job. Exactly. At the university. Yeah. You know, and and so his plan B is. And his plan B is doing anything except what his plan A was. That's well. His plan a lot of times B. when people say plan A, plan B. I mean, you can set inside Interstellar for a minute. No spoilers. But um, a lot of times what they mean is the absolute, I think what they mean is the absolute success that I can envision or all of the other myriad failures that I can fantasize. Right. That's what a lot of people mean with plan B. Plan B has this feeling of, I mean, the problem is you're already force ranking on something that hasn't even happened yet. You're turning, you're creating this one thing where you have the, the preferred outcome 
that would show that you're a good person who's following the path you're supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. And then you got everything else. Right, right. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll teach, you know, <laughs> what a bummer that that's, that's a plan B. But, um, but you know, you got to get out of that mindset. I mean, I know you're just writing words and I'm over parsing the words, but like the don't, I would try to avoid looking at it as plan A and plan B. You know, what if instead you think, instead of thinking of it as one path, another path or failure, like, are there like, think of it more like a mind map. Like, what are all the different directions with all the different aspects? I remember when I very first read What Color Is Your Parachute when I was in high school. Um, and, you know, whatever. It's a, maybe it's a silly book. I thought it was an amazing book because it really teaches you that there are so many aspects to your skills and your education, your connections, things you haven't even thought about yet. You know, you get this, you know, like we used to joke about, like, you know, how many people in their 50s still want to sleep in a race car bed? You know, like that's what you wanted when you were eight. Is that really still what you want? Have you right. updated your idea of what success looks like? Because you could probably get a race car bed today, like delivered today if you want. Would that make you successful? No, that would make you eight. Like, have you updated your idea of what these possibilities are? Because if you adopt a more cold-minded view, and like I say, really do a mind map. There's different kinds of professions. There's different kinds of countries. There's different t- types of you know responsibilities. There's just so many ways that you could choose to remap this from this fairly digital um, kind of binary that you're presenting right now. And don't be too hard on yourself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Listener, Chris, thank you for writing. Your, my wife says you should go into higher ed, uh, academic administration. I say yes. Mm-hmm. You get a desk. Oh, oh, oh newsflash. The email just came in uh, to our back to work account. Dear back this, to work. This might be the most important email we have ever received because it also relates directly to what we're talking about right now. Yes. Dan, what's the subject line? Subject line. Will blockchain make lawyers redundant? Question mark. <laughs> P.S. I'm writing to offer you an mm-hmm. exclusive interview with the co-founders of blank, a blockchain mm-hmm. venture. Whose platform helps borderless teams of cancer researchers, fashion designers, architects, and others to collaborate by dramatically reducing the involvement of lawyers, corporations, consultants, and other third parties. Even corporations find that the blockchain system powering name of product is helpful for streamlining their operations. Indeed, a massive professional service firm in Europe is using this to conduct a major audit of a company that had committed fraud. Major audit. Major audit. Major audit. Major disaster. General disorder. (laughs) Private bathroom. And then at the end, uh, P.S. Yeah, do the, do yes. the P.S. <laughs> I love back to work. It rocks. It, ro- it rocks. It rocks. It rocks. It rocks. Back to work. Tune into back to work and tear off the knob. Devil hand. <laughs> I should just reply to her with a picture of the, the devil hand. It's a he. It's a he. Oh, he. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. That's a he. Will blockchain make lawyers redundant? Yes, yes, it will. Thank you, Professor Betteridge. <laughs> um, okay, left bracket. Okay, um, that's probably good for now, right? That's good. We got more. We got, uh, let's see, uh, whether you should abandon a middling success, existential dread at a table in Walmart, la la la. <laughs> Did I leave a job this pleasant but boring? <laughs> oof. It's hard, Dan. I read these. I get up on Tuesday mornings and I read these and I go, oof. Advice is hard. It is. Yeah, it is. Signal the noise, Dan. Signal the noise. Every day I come into work, I'm like, today's the day I'm going to put the iOS beta on my iPhone. And then I don't do it. Pretty good. I don't do it. I'm worried about what if something wigs out. Signal signal or noise, Dan. Signal or noise. That's probably signal. No, it's it's best not to. It's best not to, but it's real nice. (laughs) I want to to be able to stick my tongue out of the Animoji. 
Mm-hmm. It's a nice feeling. It's no, wait freeing. a minute. Let me ask you this question. The the yes, the, the, <laughs> the face thing where you pick your little face and then you put it over your body. <sighs> okay. Yes. That kind of stuff. Can it's you if you send that to a person that doesn't have twelve, it still works, right? It just shows up as yeah. A, just that's a just quick, a, that, that's just a FaceTime. Just thing, a FaceTime yeah. thing. Mm-hmm, but it's very upsetting. <laughs> it's very uncanny valley. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's me, your dad, that's and I'm what, super creepy. That's what I wanted <laughs> for. I want to freak my kids out. <laughs> I love really you. <laughs> yeah. Daddy's a cartoon now. Bleep bloop. <laughs> All right. I think that'll do it. Let's button this up. <laughs> love you, Merlin, man. <sighs> I love you too, Dan Benjamin. <laughs>